0: Now you may have picked up on a couple of things in the notices <clears throat> excuse me that um that we we like to eat There, there um, seriously, we do but yeah we we have we you know it wasn't too long ago that we picked back up our fifth Sunday night our fifth Sunday potlucks we have the women 's ministry that's going to dinner we have the seniors' ministry that's going to lunch. you know eating is one of those things that. Uh, a, we do because we uh, physiologically have to, for the most part, to, to stay alive. But in a lot of ways, and we, we also eat because it brings a certain joy or satisfaction or comfort to us. And I, and I found this picture, which I really feel like it, there we go. A big old juicy American cheeseburger. I mean, what, what most of us would call comfort food, Right? Comfort food—you've heard that term before. Day's going bad, Um, you know. You've had a rough week. Something's something's turned sour. You know. Somebody puts their arm around. Yeah, come on. You need you need some comfort food. Um, I was hesitant whether to mention this or not, but I walked in this this morning on Mary uh, eating breakfast. I'm going to put this in quotes: breakfast in the kitchen. And I'm not going to say what she was eating, but I'm going to say that it resembled a pie. And some brownies, okay? That, that, that's what it looked like, but I'm not gonna say that's what it was, okay? And as I saw that, I'm going, I is Mary okay? I wanted to put my arm around and go, Mary, is everything okay? Because I'm, I'm, in my mind, I'm going, comfort food, this is comfort. She's like, no, just, this is just breakfast. i like, "Oh, okay. But you know, in a lot of ways, we, we, we look for things and items in life that bring us a little bit of relief. A little bit of comfort, a little bit of consolation. It may be, a, like I said, it may be a bad day, a bad week. It could be a bad relationship. It could be something that we feel like we, we've just got to find that uh, immediate temporal satisfaction in something else. Take our minds, our, our hearts, our, our souls off of the immediate problem that we have. But the, the thing about these comfort items of, of this life is they are... They are just what I mentioned before. They're, they're temporary. They, they only last for a little while. The taste of the cheeseburger and what it does, you know, to fill up our bellies. It's it it, it doesn't last forever. In fact, it, for some of us, it may, you know, it may have a lingering effect after a while. It may last right here for a little while, but the truth is that the the comfort of it doesn't really last. And we think about. Temporal when I say temporal, I mean temporary consolation, temporary comforts that come to us all the time, not, not necessarily always in food, but whenever we're whenever we're in a time of of struggle or grief or um, or we just we just found ourselves downtrodden and downhearted, even Even something as simple as someone coming to to listen to our problems, a a listening ear, maybe a a back rub or a shoulder rub or, or someone to cry alongside of us. You know, even those things are temporary. They kind of just merely last as long as the person is listening. They last as long as the conversation on the phone. They last as long as the cheeseburger lasts unless you have money to buy a second one. Jesus mentions being comforted in the beatitudes. And he mentions being comforted for a specific for a specific reason, for a for a, a specific problem that we have in our lives. And the comfort that Jesus mentions I want us to look at what that means in comparison to these temporal comforts that we have whenever we're just trying to escape or get away from the the problem or the the struggle that's immediately in front of us. Now, you'll remember that Jesus is sitting uh, in the high country, in the mountains, with his disciples. And from our scene last week, just to remind you, Jesus has has retreated away from a group of people that have sought him out for his assistance, for his love, for his mercy, and for his miracles. They've just come to him in groves wanting to be healed, wanting to be cared for, to be comforted, to be, um, to be consoled. And Jesus takes this time and, he, and he, he, he breaks away from the crowd. His disciples come with him into the mountains. And Jesus sits down and he starts to give his disciples some insight into life in the kingdom. And this insight that he gives us, that he gives them, he gives us through them, is one that looks polar opposite to the things that we expect in this life, in our earthly life. And that's why Jesus talks specifically about these blessings being those that are for people in the kingdom. As we continue on in the Beatitudes, which again is the Latin uh, derived from the Latin word for blessings, I'm going to read for you from Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. It's a very simple and and short passage. As Jesus has just spoken the first blessing that we spoke of last week, that the poor in spirit are blessed. He says that in verse 4, that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, if your mind is anything like mine, I look at that first line, I'm going, how in the world can you feel blessed if you're mourning? If you're grieving, if you're downtrodden, if you're destitute, how can you feel blessed? And I think we have to first kind of quantify what what mourning is, or what Jesus means by those who are mourning. And the truth is, we don't really have a... We don't really have a a definite definition of exactly what Jesus was meaning whenever he said those who mourn. But I believe that we mourn a lot of different things in life, and Jesus' words and Jesus' promise about being comforted, it pretty much covers them all. Now, we can mourn several different things in several different circumstances. For one, sometimes we, we mourn in this life, we mourn sin. And sin, mourning sin, is because we, we, sometimes we struggle with forgiveness or, or unforgiveness or the feeling of unforgiveness. Or maybe we struggle with habitual or, or recurring sin that we can't seem to, to get our, our, our head around and our heart around to stop. And sometimes we just mourn the fact that we're just wretched, broken people. And the mourning doesn't often come out in, in wails and tears, but it comes out in, a, in, in a, a heart of mourning. A heart and a posture of just being defeated and crying out to the Lord. And you know, mourning sin was something that I believe that, that Paul had dealt with something in his life, but he also approached it like head on. And he tells us in Romans chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, he says, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He goes, Man, I mourn the fact that I am a sinful man. But the second part of that blessing that Jesus offers, they will be comforted. Paul says, but I find my comfort in Christ because he will rescue me. And he tells his protege, Timothy, he says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. I think any one of us could probably have written that second part. We could say, you know what, I'm I'm the worst of them. And I mourn over my sin. I mourn over the fact that I have disappointed and disobeyed God. But the good news is Jesus wrote, he doesn't stop with that first sentence, blessed are those who mourn. He finishes with, because they will be comforted. And in Paul's case and in our case as well, the sinner is comforted by the one who takes away sin. Jesus Christ. Or sometimes we, we mourn other things. We mourn um, what I would call societal op- oppression. So it's, it's, uh, to define that, I guess, more in layman's terms, it's kind of that tension and that pressure that we feel of living as believers in a secular world. I don't think that any of us who truly do call on and follow Jesus Christ as a Lord can read through the newspapers or listen to the news and not feel a sense of desperation and just, just gut-wrenching sorrow for our world, for our society, for our country, for the people that don't know and don't follow Jesus. And that morning, we're we're not we're not talking about the 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 um, the feeling of the people out there. We're talking about the feeling that we have for those people. How are we comforted in that? And I believe that the answer for that comes from Jesus' own words from Matthew chapter 11. Where he says, when, when we're feeling this morning of the, the pressure and the tension of the world around, the expectations that the world has on you, the expectation that, that everyone else around has on each one of us on how we should act or behave or speak. Jesus says, come to me when you're weary and you're burdened and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I know that each one of us have probably read that verse in several different contexts, but when we when we read it in the uh, w- with the idea of the the mourning and the and the uh, this the weight that we feel living as followers of Christ in a secular world, we realize that we can we can take the burden, we can take that um, we can take that weight and we can cast it on to Jesus Christ. And take up his yoke, and all of a sudden our mourning is then now comforted through a Savior, whose burden is light, whose yoke is easy. And then, of course, there's the mourning that we're probably most familiar with. There's the mourning that comes whenever we have change and loss in our lives. In fact probably whenever we all read that first line, when we read that Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, probably our mind automatically went to mourning the loss, the death of someone dear to us. That's just the way that we kind of go. But, but change and loss happens in a lot of different aspects in our lives. They can happen in, in the midst of a broken relationship, a divorce, the loss of of property, the loss of something that that makes you feel secure and safe around you, the loss of a pet, the loss of a job, moving locations. This is something that was new to us, I think, whenever we were in New Zealand. There were so many people who were relocating out of Christchurch after the earthquakes. They They were within the same country. They were moving from Christchurch to Auckland because their houses had been destroyed, their lives completely upended, and because the, the land had been condemned where their houses were, they weren't allowed to rebuild where they were. So we had a lot of folks that were coming into our, into our region that were mourning the loss of their way of life, the loss of their home, the loss of their lifestyle, the loss of their hometown but then also grieving the fact that they had all of this change going on in their lives in moving location. Of course, there's probably all of us experienced in one way or another the, uh, the change that happened a couple of years ago in the midst of the height of the pandemic, the change in the norms and the, the uh, routines of our life when COVID hit and all of the different um, All the different protocols were forced onto us. There was a lot of mourning that went on in that. You know, I just just want my normal back because I feel so out of place. I'm, I'm struggling to be at home alone. I'm struggling to move from going to work in an office to going working by myself at home. I'm struggling with not being able to see my friends and my family. You know, there's a lot of that that came a lot of that mourning that came in the midst of the pandemic. And then, of course, without a doubt, there's mourning death. There's mourning the loss of life, be it a friend, a family member, a brother and sister in Christ. And we have to ask ourselves, well, well, those who are mourning, Jesus promises that they are comforted, in this second beatitude, in this second blessing? Well, how are those who are grieving comforted? Well, fortunately for us, once again, Jesus answers these questions in Scripture. And I believe that Jesus gives us a a keen insight into a specific nature that He has as Lord and Savior, as Messiah, as King, as Son of God that makes His comfort when we're mourning, especially death, so desirable. I want to read from Revelation chapter 7, verse 16 and 17. The Apostle John in Revelation chapter 7, he's he's talking with one of the elders around the throne uh, there in in the kingdom. And one of the elders speaks to John about the people that John sees coming in and around the throne with these white robes on. And the elder tells John, he said, these are the people that have, that have survived and made it through the tribulation period and are now here in the presence of Christ our King. And this elder tells the apostle John. He says, "You see, these people—they will no longer hunger. They'll no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will there, nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them." And I highlighted this. This, this um, highlighting is for me, not from uh, the scripture. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear. From their eyes and there's something really really special in that second to last line that shows what is in this what is in the special nature of this shepherd of this Christ that brings comfort to those who mourn the loss of life and to me in that, that second to last sentence where he says Jesus will guide them to the springs of the waters of of life you see because jesus doesn't just comfort with a soothing word he doesn't just comfort with a shoulder to cry on he just doesn't walk beside us and put his arm around us and say you know what it's gonna be okay and he doesn't give us a cheeseburger but he comforts us with his presence the eternal presence of life when we're in the presence, in the midst of death and despair, Jesus, the presence of life, comes in close proximity with us and should bring us the assurance that this is not the end. This is not where it all stops. Life prevails there's something about seeing, um, something about seeing a, a blooming flower or a budding vase in the midst of a, a, a group of flowers or a garden of other dead plants. It stands out. It trumps the beauty of everything else around it. And Jesus comes in with this presence of life. And he said, this is my comfort to you. Of course, he is there with his word. Of course, he is there with the presence of his spirit. But what he really wants us to recognize is the life that he brings. The joy that he exhibits in his presence while we're mourning. You know, sometimes it's really hard to to grasp. Sometimes it's really hard to accept uh, the comfort of a life giving Savior whenever we're in the midst of a time of mourning and grieving. Sometimes it's hard to even recognize it. And, and you know, we look at, sometimes we look at our own situation and we think, well, my situation is unique. My situation is special. No one else has ever felt like me. No one has ever had a relationship like I did and, and lost a person like I have. But I want to give us an example from Scripture itself, of a time whenever there were others that didn't recognize the comforter, the giver of life being in their presence to bring them comfort. And really, kind of an overview of John chapter 11. I'm going to tell the story kind of quick. But in John chapter 11, we read the story of the resurrection of Jesus' friend Lazarus. Now, there's probably a dozen different ways that this particular passage has been taught and preached. But I want us to look at it in the light of what we are reading in the Beatitudes. That Jesus, in the midst of people who are mourning, is there with his presence of life to comfort See, the first thing that he does in John chapter 11, before he goes to visit Lazarus, his friend who had died in Bethany, he tells his disciples, Jesus tells his disciples, he goes, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I'm going to wake him up. And his disciples go, well, if he's fallen asleep, why do we have to walk all the way to Bethany? He'll wake up himself. And Jesus going, Oh, do I have to teach you guys everything. Lazarus isn't asleep in which you call asleep, and he finally just says it in plain language, Lazarus is died. He's, he's dead. And for you, I'm glad that I weren't there whenever he died. So Jesus' first proclamation to his disciples that he had no concern whatsoever over Lazarus's life or death, or the fact that Lazarus was already dead. He wasn't sad. He wasn't sorrowful. He wasn't grieving the fact that Lazarus was, was dead. He already knew that he was going to Bethany to resurrect Lazarus. It's important that we understand that as we get through the rest of the story. He arrives there in Bethany, and the first person that he comes upon is Martha. So Martha was one of Lazarus's. Uh, sisters and Martha comes out to Jesus and she said oh master if you had only been here earlier you could have saved my brother and he tells for the second time in the midst of the same disciples and now to Martha I'm not concerned nor am I grieved nor am I sad about Lazarus's death because he says in John chapter 11 verse 23 your brother will rise again and he says that with confidence Jesus said to her in verse 25 I am the resurrection and the life the one who believes in me even if he dies will live there is a there's a sense of certainty in Jesus's words he hasn't become concerned over Lazarus's death, it's important that we understand that, because the next person that Jesus comes into contact with is Martha's sister Mary, and Mary runs out to Jesus, and she basically says the same thing: "Oh Lord, if you had only been here before he died, he wouldn't have died. You could have saved his life." And as Mary comes running out to Jesus, so do all these other Jews. Now the um, the um, Apostle John is very specific about calling these people Jews. He doesn't call them disciples. These are people, when we see that word that these are Jews, we can assume that these are people who don't believe and don't accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah. They follow Mary out to Jesus, and when they get to him, they're surrounding him crying and wailing and bellowing and mourning the death and the loss of Lazarus. Mary is mourning the loss of of Lazarus. Martha is mourning the loss of Lazarus. And I would venture to say that his disciples, noticing all this, and I'm sure you've been there. You've been around people who are mourning and crying and destitute. And all of a sudden, you just naturally, I don't even know why I'm crying. I didn't even lose. And you just start crying out of empathy. I can imagine his disciples were, were just surrounded by all of this emotion. And they just start mourning as well just out of empathy and Jesus Jesus has the strangest reaction in verse 33 he says when he saw her crying and the Jews who had come crying with her he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled now in In my professional, unprofessional opinion, this does not do credit for the Greek that is translated uh, into these English words. What John really was trying to say was, Jesus was annoyed. Jesus was perturbed. It wasn't just that he was moved in his spirit because he was sad. We've already recognized that Jesus had proclaimed that Lazarus was going to live, that he was the truth and the life. He was was the one that was going to bring Lazarus. He had Lazarus back to life. He had no concern about Lazarus' death, but yet the surrounding of all this bellowing, all of a sudden he got really annoyed. And when he asks... Where have you put him? They told him, Lord, come and see. And that's when we read the shortest verse in all of Scripture. Jesus wept. So, considering the context of everything that Jesus had said, everything that he had expected, but yet what he experienced in this situation leads me to believe that Jesus wasn't weeping because he was sad that Lazarus had died. Jesus was weeping because the, the author of life, the presence of life, the comforter was standing there in their presence and they did not even recognize him. He was right there. And yet they were so Desperate. They missed the comforter. They missed the presence of life in their presence. And Jesus, troubled, annoyed, perturbed in his spirit, wept over their unbelief, over the fact that their eyes were not opened, you see, for each one of us, and I believe that just as it was in this situation, when we mourn, Jesus tell us, tells us that we're blessed when we mourn because at that point, He, the Comforter, the life, the presence of life, draws near to us. Just as He did for Mary and Martha and all of the Jews and his disciples when his friend Lazarus died. He drew near to them personally, physically, spiritually. And for each one of us, when we, when we find ourselves in times of mourning, Jesus said, that's actually going to be a very blessed time for you. Because when, when you're mourning, I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to comfort you. And you know the way that he does that? You know the way that he does that today, here, and now? He does that with the brother and the sister that's sitting right beside you. You know, so because each one of us that follow and accept the lordship of Jesus Christ have something in us, his presence, the Holy Spirit within us, that that spirit of life, that Jesus possessed and took to the presence of the family of Lazarus. So we, as brothers and sisters, carry that presence, the comfort of God and life to those who mourn. Think about it for a second. You think about the the masses of people who gather to comfort when someone dies. The masses of people who gather, who brothers and sisters who gather to comfort whenever there's a tragedy in our world, whenever there's an atrocity that happens within our culture. Brothers and sisters, they, they swarm to that. And they carry with them the presence of God, the comforter. And in the midst of death, in the midst of mourning, in the midst of distress, they bring life and hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I believe Paul says it the best in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. He says, God comforts us in all of our affliction. And he's talking about himself and his coworkers. So that we, speaking of himself and his coworkers again, may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. So what he's saying is what I've received in comfort from the Lord, I now can pass on in comfort. And I do this, the last part of verse 4, through the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. You know, Jesus said himself, what you have been given freely, pass along freely. And His promise, His blessing, there is fulfilled in each one of us who call Him Lord, who come alongside one who mourns, who grieves. And we bring the Comforter with us. We bring the light and the life of Jesus Christ with us. And Jesus says in that second beatitude, it's a blessed time when you mourn because you're going to be surrounded by me. Isn't that something to celebrate? That even in the time that we would consider our darkest hours, is the point that Jesus arrives in mass and covers us with life and hope and comfort. You know, each week, we celebrate and we remember that presence of Christ with us and among us. And we do this by, by receiving the Lord's Supper. And the reason that this helps us to remember that presence of Christ with us is because it keeps us focused, keeps us focused on the very thing that provides the power and the presence of God to each one of us. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ made it possible for God's Spirit to reside in each one of us. For those of us who have received that forgiveness, for those of us who have accepted the salvation through Jesus Christ, for those of us who have called on Him as Lord, we are now His co-workers. We are now His liaisons. And we give thanks. We give thanks that now Jesus is not merely confined to one small region of the world in physical space, but through his death, burial, and resurrection and through his eternal presence with each one of his disciples. He's now present with every brother and sister in Christ. And when we cry, when we mourn, when we grieve, we're there to bring that presence of Christ around those who need Him the most in Mass. Father, we thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we are grateful, Lord, that when we mourn, when we grieve, for whatever reason it is, be it our sin, be it our our struggles in life, be it our loss, the change in our life, or even death that we experience in our friends, in our family. Lord, that you have made it possible for the comforter, the giver of life, to be there, to console, to comfort. Lord, we are blessed to have your presence with us. We are blessed to have the comforter draw near to us when we mourn. Lord, I pray that as we take the cup, as we take the bread this morning, that we remember that that offer of your presence did not come without sacrifice. And it's because of the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, the brokenness of his body, the spilling of his blood, that we each have access to a personal relationship with you and can therefore take that relationship, Lord, and encourage and build up and pray for and care for one another. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your comfort and your care. In Christ I pray, amen. Let's eat together.